are Locked On Wildcats. Your daily podcast on the Arizona Wildcats. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Happy Wednesday, everybody, and thanks for keeping it locked on, Wildcats. We've got a very special guest today, somebody that I grew up listening to uh, back in happy hour fame back uh, what, 10, 15 years ago, Tucson's own Jody Ayler. You can catch Jody at uh, on the host of The Drive from 6 to 10 a.m. on Fox Sports 910. Jody, how you doing, man? I'm great, man. I, I appreciate it. I remember a young Mike Luke coming into the station at 1490 and... I think you had either applied for an internship or, or maybe a, a paid gig there. Mm-hmm. And, um, we couldn't hire you at the time. I wanted to, but I, I could barely keep me employed at that point. And I think you, from that point, I, you might have ended up at 1290. That's exactly what happened. I came over here and um, I said, uh, basically, um, I would do anything possible, but you were the one. I wouldn't have even known where to go. So I am forever indebted to you for that. I really appreciate that. No man, I'm, it's I'm I'm super impressed by what you built, and always knew you had it uh, in you. And uh, it's it's great to see you out there doing your thing and building on on so many um, interesting U of A storylines as as we sit here today. Well, let's start tackling those. You wrote an article uh, recently about kind of the Sean Miller era and about how it needed to come to an end. My question for you is twofold. When you think back on the Sean Miller era, what is Jody Ayler's first impressions going to be? And on top of that, kind of run the people through your thought press process as to why Arizona needed to move in that different direction. So I'll start with the second part first. To me, I, I think it was a totally justified firing um, from the context of under Sean Miller, and I think there's two separate conversations. One is the FBI investigation and the NCAA and the fallout from that. The other is the state of the program. And while they're intertwined, they're, they're also separate enough where you can kind of separate them. And I think Arizona basketball, whether it's the losing streak to Oregon and UCLA and the basically 500 record the last three years and still having multiple NBA draft picks on the roster was – just a degradation of the overall program that Sean Miller was the head of. And anytime you're in charge of a program as special as Arizona and you lead it to something as ordinary as it had become, that you're justified in firing them or moving on. I, the way it's been handled is, is again, is, is, is awful um, in a lot of ways. But, I, you know, the Sean Miller era to me is, is such an interesting story because, I, I was convinced, like so many others, that Sean Miller was going to win a national championship at Arizona and was going to multiple Final Fours. And, I, you know, I don't know. I was thinking about this before um, I came on with you. Like, I think you – like, is there an Arizona basketball player whose career you think of kind of aligns with Sean Miller? It's kind of a fun game to think about. Because I think in a lot of ways – Sean Miller's career is kind of like that of an athlete where you expect great things, a lot of hype, really promising start, things kind of peak and you think it's going to keep going up. And then like we see with some athletes, it it doesn't come to fruition. Um, I kind of look at Sean Miller as like the Mustafa Shakur of of coaches. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. A ton of hype. You know, there was some real promising stuff, and Mustafa's probably not as wasn't as accomplished as Sean on the court, but ultimately it was just one of those 
stories that didn't work out the way everybody thought. And it, it's still kind of jarring to think that a couple of weeks removed that Arizona fired Sean Miller. I mean, I think, I think that's wild. I really do. How about this comparison? I think it's a little bit, and I'm just thinking this on the fly, it's a little bit like Gilbert Arenas' pro career, that you came in, you had a lot of instant success, you reached peaks much quicker than I think a lot of people thought. You know, Gilbert Arenas became a fringe top 10 NBA player. Then you get the injuries, you get the deal with the guns, and he's always trying to get back to that point, but that magic that he had early on just kind of eluded him by that point. Yeah, it's, I mean, exactly. It's, I mean, that's, there's so many athletes that undergo this sort of track, but it's rare that you see a coach who exhibits and demonstrates early on so many qualities that are synonymous with succeeding at the highest level that then fall short. And my theory has always been, and it's just that, it's just a theory, um, is that the losses to Wisconsin drove Sean Miller like competitively insane to the mm-hmm. point where even if he wasn't directly involved in whatever happened with Book and, and, and Mark Phelps, that he ultimately was willing to do things differently or not be as involved as he knew he should be because he wanted to win and overcome that professional humiliation that he experienced. And I, I still think that sequence of games, losing to Wisconsin in the back-to-back years, kind of began what, what ended the story of Sean Miller. Now, maybe it's a lot simpler and it's not a soap opera like that, but I I just feel that. I don't know if it's true or not. I think the I went back and I was watching that game. It's funny you mentioned that. I went back and I watched that game. And I think the other thing about the Sean Miller era, and again, this is a little bit kind of Monday morning quarterback, but I felt it at the time. When you're playing, and let's use the Wisconsin-Sam Decker game, where he's just bombing threes left and right. We've never really seen anything quite like that. But the the thing with Miller, though, it was almost like he was – against adjusting at any point at some point you've got to know that man these guys are making threes left and right and you know what Lute Olson again Lute Olson's one of the top what 15 coaches to ever walk a college sideline but you grew up watching him Lute Olson's going to try different things he's going to shoot passing lanes he's going to get up in your face he's going to try something else out Sean Miller was always a very easy scout because you knew exactly what he was going to do and you just got the sense in the Wisconsin game that he hoped that Sam Decker was going to start missing shots instead of imposing his superiority and his talent on Wisconsin, Jody. It's a great, it's a great point, and you're right. I mean, that was early on. There were two themes that people kind of forget early on that dominated Sean Miller's narrative at Arizona, and I was covering him every game in Tucson at the time. And one was his style doesn't translate to highly successful, highly recruited high school players. It's too intense. Remember, there were some of those teams early on. They made the Elite Eight in year two, but in year three, they missed the tournament again, if right. I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of conversation at the time. Is he too hard? Is he too intense? Why doesn't he adjust some of his coaching to different personalities? And that filtered onto the lack of adjustments on the court where it was like, and we now know how, uh, frankly, you know, stone age this is in the context of all sports. Like adjustments are necessary everywhere in every sport all the time. Analytics is born that to be true as much as it is wrought kind of havoc on the competitive landscape. Like if you don't have every tool in your toolbox at your disposal to win a game, then for lack of a better phrase, you're kind of an idiot now. It's nowadays. Now it wasn't true when Sean wasn't doing it, but like 
zones, mixing it up. And it was, like you mentioned, Liz used to run box and ones. I mean, there used to be a baseline runner, you know, right. these Celine running across baselines, defending teams, like whatever it took. And Sean never, he showed such a devout conviction in that my way is the only way and it will succeed that a lot of us bought it. I did. And it was true for a time, but eventually the sport caught up, the analytics caught up. And I think the way players play and coaches coach caught up. And even though Sean got a little bit more kind of malleable in his basketball philosophy, I, he kind of still always felt like a dinosaur philosophically on the court you know what i mean for sure we're joined by i'm sorry i'm going to say it tucson's own jody ayler host of the host of the drive in phoenix on 910 fox sports you can catch that from 6 to 10 a.m all right jody when i go and i look at possible candidates the one thing that i would like to see is i would like to see arizona get back to somebody that and again this will sound cliche but it's really the best thing i can think of somebody that is going to get out and run and run a fan friendly style of basketball sean miller won a lot of games here there's no doubt about it but i never came away from a sean miller game like i did with a loot game where man we just went on a 22 to 4 run or Hmm. wow there were six fast break dunks in the last six minutes there was never really any of that in play during the last decade plus i'd like to see somebody whoever that is and again i know that this sounds a little bit generic somebody that would get back to a little bit more of that fan friendly arizona wheeling and dealing basketball yeah it's crucial i mean i think there's a lot of things that you could look at and say that the next hire needs to get back to what it once was and it's not like this nostalgia for the loot era and obviously his passing last year is you know still kind of um, hovers over the program but I think there's a lot of things that that Lute Olson did that people that have followed the program closely understand weren't just trends or weren't just you know prisoners of that particular basketball moment that a lot of the things that Lute Olson did to build the program are timeless foundational pieces of a successful program. I think to your point, the style of play, if you're, if you're playing high level basketball in 2021 and going forward and you're not spacing, you're not using pace, you're not using matchups and you're just trying to put square pegs in round holes because that's the way you've always done it. You know, you're going to, you're going to be Stan Van Gundy out of the (laughs) league. And that's kind of what's happened to a couple of those old dinosaurs in the NBA. And, funny that i think someone i forget who i was listening to what podcast or what what you know analysis was saying that sean might end up on stan gundy's staff because they're they're they've been longtime friends like well that makes sense because you just can't play a certain style of basketball and succeed at a high level i think the other parts about it mike and i don't know how you feel about it is i think this is a, a bigger part of the sean miller narrative than it needs to be but i do think it's important one be a part of the community. I mean, yes. listen, I, I, I was a part of Tucson for a very long time. I worked in the nonprofit sector for a very long time. Like, Lute Olson would be at your event if you wanted him to be at your event. Lute Olson was on the poster of every Big Brothers, Big Sisters um, recruitment poster that, that was made for years. I remember I was a high school senior in rural southeastern Arizona, 
I was a dare camp counselor for, for you know, as a high school senior, we were the counselors for this dare camp two hours away from Tucson. Jim Rosborough drove down to talk to the kids and tell them about the, the young point guard recruit from Indianapolis he had just landed. In Jason Michigan. Gardner. You know, and like the, Sean Miller absolutely, from all accounts, abhorred the responsibilities of being essentially – unofficial mayor of Tucson and I think in a in a in a community as tight knit as proud and I also think as kind of rightfully sensitive as Tucson can be, if you're not willing to roll up your sleeves and like be a man or woman of the people, um it, it's just not gonna ever feel the way it should feel there. And I, I think that had he done that he would have reaped the benefits as much as the community would have. And I think those hallmarks of Lou Dolson's tenure aren't just nostalgia. I think they're timeless. I really do. I think the uh, the media narrative, too, about it, and I've never really understood team or coaches that don't play the media game, and here and players as well, and I'll give you an example. I grew up, and Jody, you might think less of me for what I'm about to tell you, but I'm just being honest. <laughs> when I grew up, my favorite athlete of all time outside of Sean Elliott was Barry Bonds, and it was actually fairly simple why. Barry Bonds gave me an autographed baseball when he was walking out to the parking lot when I was seven years old at Candlestick Park uh, in the back. So that was always my guy. Ride, ride or die, Barry Bonds was my guy. And so when all of the steroid stuff breaks, and you've got everybody knows at that point that Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa are on steroids, but the reason that Barry Bonds was targeted with probably 90% of the uh, – excuse me, of the media's venom, is that Barry Bonds went out of his way to be a jerk to the media. The media is just like anybody else. They are normal people. And so if Mark McGuire's given you a good quote, if Sammy Sosa's given you a good quote, and Barry Bonds is out here basically giving you the middle finger, you are subconsciously going to remember that. And that's the way that I kind of feel about it with Sean Miller, and that I thought that he was antagonizing to the local media for really no reason, Jody, and I think that was to his detriment. Yeah, I mean, it, there's no doubt Sean Miller was unnecessarily, um, I don't know what the exact right word is, maybe combative, antagonistic, as you mentioned, with the media locally than he needed to be. I think he could get away with that when things were good, and that's what we ultimately saw. I mean, listen, I, Sean Miller, the, his introductory press conference, the first interview he did, publicly after that press conference was with me on the air and mm-hmm. we talked, you know, basketball and his, his John Mayer was his favorite. Music. Like we, we talked like human beings would talk to each other. And for a few years after that, Sean would come on once a year with me. I'd see him at the road shows up in Phoenix and he'd be gregarious and, you know, and then something happened midway through Sean Miller's tenure where he basically just shut down all interviews, all media and, and, became especially after the FBI investigation like someone who was unwilling to go onto any platform and I don't care if it was me or anyone else and just answer questions and it felt like more like someone trying to hide than someone trying to do their job and the crazy part is Mike and I don't know if you ever got this impression with Sean is I've always had the feeling and I've seen it a little bit firsthand that if you're one of Sean's guys, if you're in the inner circle of the coaching staff or the athletic department, like if you're one of Sean's guys, he's a, you know, a good dude. I mean, he's, he's right. not like this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like He's funny. 
be sarcastic. He's, you know, like anybody, they can be personal when they want. And the fact that he was that unwilling to ever, ever kind of show that side again, I think always led to the impression and maybe the reality that he wasn't ever fully immersed into the community and that he liked being the head coach of Arizona because it was Arizona basketball, but that everything else just seemed like he didn't have time for it. And um, I think whoever the next head coach is like, I understand and appreciate the debate about hiring a former player. Um, and I think, you know, Gilbert Arenas' most recent comments on the mm-hmm. on the Richard Jefferson Instagram Live, which, you know, I don't know if we we're planning on talking about, but I think it's important that there's value to someone who understands what this program has been at its best and that Sean never really experienced that because he took over after two years of, dysfunction and Kevin O'Neill and Russ Pennell. And what he saw was just from afar, sellouts and wins. But if you really felt what Arizona basketball represented beyond just Lute Olsen championship, and by the way, lost a lot of games in the tournament, dealt with a lot of people who, who weren't happy with Lute for a very long time. I think if you felt what that program was and what mm-hmm. it meant, that you would do what it took to get it back there as well as winning. And that's why I don't have a problem at all with Arizona hiring uh, a former player if that's if that's ultimately the decision that they go down. We're joined by uh, Jody Ayler, host of The Drive on Fox Sports 910 up in Phoenix. Well, Jody, that led me into my next point. Uh, Gilbert Arenas, Richard Jefferson, a lot of players putting out there that they want to see an alum. When you look at the coaching landscape, when you look at some of the players that have been uh, – interviewed, whether that's Miles Simon, whether that's Damon Stoudemire, or outside the family, a Tommy Lloyd. Is there anybody that Jody Ayler looks at and said, you know what, if I'm A.D. Ayler, that's probably who I'm looking at right now? Yeah, I mean, this is, it's interesting. Let's go rapid fire through some of those names. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tommy Lloyd, I thought the Gilbert Arenas Instagram showed, like, he wouldn't even mention his name, and I don't think Gilbert speaks for everybody because Gilbert is, right. is and always has been Gilbert, but I think what he represents there is the the the, swy, the pride you would have to swallow to hire an assistant coach from a non-Pac-12 conference with no connections to the university. And I, I would imagine there was a revolt, probably too strong of a word, but imagine hiring a coach at Arizona and then not having former players enthusiastically publicly support that coach initially. That'd be a tough sell. Um, so Tommy Wood, I, I would be – open-minded to, but I understand the hesitation. Damon Stoudemire, I think we almost know too much about him. It's five years at Pacific. They finished in third in their conference once. That was two years ago. It's a bad program that he made respectable, but it's not like they're setting the world on fire. And we know in college basketball, it's it's more conducive to mid-major success than any other college sport. Um, Miles Simon, legend. I've, you know, I've never watched my... I, I don't know that Miles Simon has some of the intangibles required to, to lead a, an entire program. I think there's a little bit more Sean Miller in his personality than Lute Olson, mm-hmm. even if he's somebody that just bleeds, you know, Arizona red and blue. I, if I were my call, Mike, and this is unpopular with a ton of fans, and I get why, like, Jason Terry to me is undersold as mm-hmm. an option given the continuity of the current roster. The biggest knock against him is he doesn't have much coaching experience. The dude spent 19 years in the NBA. He won a championship, one of the most respected role players and bench players in NBA history, a coach by Rick Carlisle for a number of years in Dallas. Like, 
you're telling me your biggest concern is that Jason Terry doesn't know basketball? Because that's insane to me. I think Jason Terry's personality, I think two years ago I interviewed Jason Terry before any of this at the Final Four, and he told me his dream job was coaching the University of Arizona men's program. Um, you talk about his role on the Arizona basketball family. I mean, coming off the bench, eventually winning National Player of the Year. I mean, everything you want in a player is embodied by Jason Terry, and he wants to be there. He wants the job. And I just don't get the he doesn't have enough experience when he played 19 years in the NBA and wasn't exactly known for being a wallflower while in the And, and the thing about it, too, like you said, have you ever come across somebody that has that has energy that surpasses JT? He would work 20 hours a week at this, I mean, excuse me, 20 hours a day at this job. He'd be, he'd be working at it. He, he knows the current roster. I think in terms of outreach into the community, there's no one better. The only awkward thing about hiring an alum like Jason Terry is that there may come a day where you, turn, you, you have to fire or it doesn't work out. And I think that's an awkwardness that isn't really fully appreciated when it's beginning. But I, to me, like Jason Terry and Jack Murphy keeping together 60 to 75% of the roster – adding some, you know, the best assistant coaches they could find while also rallying and unifying the Arizona basketball family that might, what Lute Olson's legacy has created is one of the most powerful mm-hmm. alumni bases of voices in modern basketball, from Steve Kerr and Andre Godala to Richard Jefferson and Channing Frye. Like, if you, you need someone to unify that power of, and harness of that alumni base uh, that can be influential and already has been at the highest levels in basketball. And I think Jason Terry, while not a perfect choice, I think Jason Terry is a perfectly justified choice. Jody, before we let you go, and again, this has been fantastic, what do you think right now, just you know, kind of from an outsider point of view, of the leadership hierarchy at Arizona right now and how this search is being conducted? Yeah, so I, this is one of those instances where I wish I was I was covering the team in, in the process on a daily basis to have a, a stronger opinion. From an outside perspective, by all accounts, it appears to be a debacle. And I, I wrote an article, a uh, blog post, uh, back in December about the state of college athletics and how is a concern of mine is that current state of college athletics is you have people hired in prominent positions, whether it's AD or president, that come and kind of have no previous connection to the job that get offered a paycheck and a title and then kind of hijack the program away from the people that care the most about it. And there's some really good people in the athletic department that have been there for a very long time and care very deeply, but they're not the ones that make the biggest decisions. And so I worry that this is more of a vanity play for a coach, uh, for a, for a president and maybe, you know, uh, if, if Dave Hickey's got a seat at that table, rather than a let's make the best decision for the long-term viability of Arizona basketball. You know, when you can walk away from jobs with seven-figure golden parachutes and move right into the next job and the next title, you're not as seemingly, presumably, and this may be unfair to Robert Roberts and Dave Eakey, but you may be not as concerned with the state of Arizona basketball is going to be 10 or 15 years from now, where for so many people that, follow and believe and and care deeply about Arizona basketball in the community, that's all that they care about. And so I, I wish when Steve Kerr said last week, hey, call me, I, I, I'd be happy to share my thoughts. The fact that he had to say, call me, and already right. called, to me is an indication that 
this process is, is flawed. Um, I'll reserve judgment ultimately until we know what they actually do, but um, it, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence, in that, that's for sure. He's Jody Ayler. Again, Jody, I can't thank you enough for coming on. We'd love to have you on again here in the future on Locked on Wildcats. And keep doing your thing for 9, 10 up in Phoenix. Again, need to tune in 6 to 10 a.m. The Drive, Jody Ayler. And again, still going to call you Tucson's own, buddy. You're the man. I appreciate it very much, man. Okay, thanks again. You're listening to Locked on Wildcats.